0: Hey, green future growers. Welcome to season three. I'm your host, Jackie Marie Byer. If you're new to the show, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes for free or follow on your favorite podcast app and let's get growing. Welcome to the Green Organic Garden. It is Saturday, January 23rd, 2021. I just got off the most amazing grow live with Patty Armbrister. So get ready to hear that. And I have an amazing guest on the line today. She blogs at Fine Gardening. She's just She has over 800 blog posts there that just is full of information. She travels throughout the U.S. and Europe, Canada, giving lectures, demonstrations on subjects like herbs, edible flowers, just all sorts of food and cooking and gardening and just... Thank you so much for joining us today. So welcome to the Green Organic Garden, Susan Belsinger.
1: Well, thank you. I'm really happy to be here, Jackie. Anytime I can talk about gardening with like-minded people, it's a good thing.
0: <laughs> awesome. Well, go ahead and tell listeners a little bit about
1: yourself. Uh, well, I, um, I guess I first got into, uh, I'm, I'm an herbalist, so uh, the herbs are my passion, although I grow uh, vegetables and fruits and all kinds of other things. And uh, I first really got into uh, herbs way back in the early 70s when I went to Europe. And um, my mom, you know, she cooked with a a can of dried parsley and nutmeg, and she didn't really use herbs very much. So uh, when I... uh, I landed in uh, Northern Africa and went to the souks there, you know, the uh, the marketplaces, and was just astounded at uh, the herbs and spices and sacks piled high, and the, you know, the aromas were mind-blowing, really, and so um, I went to uh, a Turkish bath in the little town I was staying in, On the ladies went on one day and men went on the other day. And, um, I struck up a friendship with a young, uh, person there, uh, and she, uh, arranged for me to go to the, her, her home so I could learn about herbs from her mother. And when I got there, everybody in the tiny little town that I was staying in, all the women in the whole town were there. <laughs> so they sort of took it Because me under they their wanted wing. to learn
0: too? Oh
1: they wanted to teach me about how to use herbs and spices in in cooking.
0: Oh, how lucky were you? But can you back up to just like, how did you end up going in North Africa? Like well on a vacation um, or you're like, I'm going to go study spices or like, were you there for like one day? Like how did, and were you like in high school and like we're going to North Africa back in the seventies? I mean,
1: uh, right. Well, we, uh, my husband who was, uh, my boyfriend, Ben, we took off with our backpacks, and we landed in um, Luxembourg, and we uh, went to England and bought a little car, and we drove down through Spain and the Pyrenees and Portugal, and then we hopped across to Africa. So we were gone for over uh, about a year and a half, all told.
0: Wow. Way to go.
1: Well, cool. Yeah. Okay. It was the learning experience of a lifetime, truly. It changed my life dramatically.
0: Yeah, I imagine. How lucky? What, like, what great adventurers were you a year and a half over there? All right. Well, so then how did that turn into gardening? Well, I always start my show asking about your very first gardening experience. Like, were you a kid? Were you an adult? Like, who were you with? What'd you grow?
1: Well, uh, my very first gardening experience was uh, back in the 70s, and um, my I lived I grew up in Baltimore City, so uh, we had some daylilies along the fence in our little tiny square backyard and grass and a maple tree. So (laughs) there was no gardening happening there, Um, and so uh, when I got out on my own and had there was some land nearby, I took the opportunity and I guess I was 20 when I planted my first garden and you know uh I back then I wanted to do organic gardening and it, and it was a small garden to begin with with your you know your tomatoes and your peppers and um mostly I had a lot of herbs and I had some flowers so but uh then was this
0: uh, after you've come back from Europe or this is before you've gone
1: this is just before I left for there yeah. Um, okay, so, so let's go I've, back to
0: the Turkish bathhouse. I didn't mean to interrupt. Like, okay, so these yeah. women took you under their wing, and what'd you learn? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, so I, um, it you know, Moroccan women aren't allowed to have anyone in their house. I mean, a man can't be in their house. So it was just me, and whenever they cooked something or had a celebration. Ashusha was the name of the young woman who I became friends with. She would come and get me and, and bring me over so I could watch. So I started, I had that notebook still. Um, I started taking notes and that uh, really began my interest in herbs and spices and, you know, cooking with them. And so, uh, of course, when I returned home, eventually I, I had to grow my own garden. Um, but, um, in between all of that, I went off to Italy and I stayed in Italy for a while and I, uh, was in the mountains outside of, uh, Firenze and, uh, you know, we were, uh, growing, I was, we were living as an au pair with a professor and his wife. And, um, then back then you'd, we didn't have, you know, phones and things like this and, uh, So uh, we we came home after a year and a half, and uh, that's when I started my own garden, really. And um, and then we got, we were home for about a year, and we got a telegram uh, from the professor, and he said, if you can be here in two weeks, I've got a job for you as uh, as a sort of an assistant gardener on top of a mountainside (laughs) in Italy. And um so we gave notice and we moved to Italy and we spent about a year and plus on a biodynamic farm there. And that is really where I learned to garden organically and all about raising vegetables and herbs. And that was a life changing experience. The people um the the family that we lived with, um, we were we were basically caretakers and when they traveled we were in charge of everything, but we learned to plant. Um, they they pretty much were self sufficient in that they um, they had uh, contadini, the local farmers came and planted fields of wheat and oats, so they had grain. And then um, the shepherd he uh, he grazed his sheep, so we got homemade cheese, and they had grapes, so we made our own wine, they had olives, so we made our own olive oil, and they had chicken, ducks, and rabbits, so um, we had our own eggs, and uh, it was just an amazing, amazing learning experience. We only went to town for chocolate and coffee.
0: <laughs> oh, my gosh. You yeah. are like, it. it's so romantic sounding i'm sure there are things that weren't quite as romantic as it sounds but how fast like how big of a place in italy like two acres or 15 acres like oh
1: um i don't remember they call them hectares there but uh it was a mountaintop yeah you know and down the mountain they were a well-to-do family and you know they had a pool and um, they had a, a lot of contadini who worked for them. So I learned from the farmers as well as from the, the, actually, the, the wife was from Germany and that's why she believed in the biodynamic gardening. And, uh, the husband was Italian and they had two young sons. And so, uh, we just were hands on, you know, we, we got to learn all the aspects of growing all of those crops and, you know, like the, the mountainside leading up was lined with bay trees and rosemary hedges. And so it was like astounding. I just, you know, I was a sponge and I soaked it all up. And indeed it, it was a life changing experience, you know.
0: So then you come back to Maryland and what's the first thing you do in Maryland? Do you start planting herbs? Do you dig up a whole bunch of beds? How big is your, are you still at the same place in Maryland?
1: Uh, I am um the the base uh between all these travels was my husband's um parents property and um we have uh 3 acres here and we have our gardens and we have woods also and um so uh uh I planted gardens here yes we we planted gardens and we planted fruit trees and we raised bees and we did all that sort of thing, but, um, we didn't stay here for too long. We stayed here about a year and a half after we came back from Italy and I met a woman in Italy named Carolyn Dilly, who I became very good friends with and she lived in California and we both cooked. We both loved to cook and herbs became a passion really living in Italy. And so, um, Carolyn and I decided that we wanted to educate Americans about herbs. So uh, we moved to California and uh, Carolyn and I, uh, I mean, we'd never done anything like this before. We, we decided to start with the basic herb and that was parsley. And so we, Um, We grew, you know, parsley was readily available in the 70s in the grocery store, whereas you couldn't buy basil at the grocery store, you had to grow it. Um, So uh, we grew uh, that we grew some basic herbs and uh, we took parsley and we cooked 12 recipes with it. And in our naivete, we sent it off to the only two cooking magazines, this article that we wrote and with um, photographs that were sort of laughable at this point because I had never really taken food photos before. And uh, we sent it to Gourmet and Bon Appetit and uh, Bon Appetit answered us back pretty quick that they weren't interested and uh, you know, we said we want to educate Americans about herbs and here's one herb but we'd like to you know, do many more. And Gourmet uh, called us and said, well, you know, we're interested. And so, that culminated in that, that culminated in a year-long column in Gourmet magazine which ran in 1980 and we wrote it in 1979 and it was called a calendar of herbs and it featured one herb each month and so from there that became 12 chapters for our first book which we added uh, eight more so we did the 20 20- most common culinary herbs, and that was Cooking with Herbs, published in 1981. And I'm still doing it. I'm still writing about herbs, cooking with herbs, teaching herbs, and uh, it's a way of life.
0: I would not be surprised if my mom learned a lie. I mean, we got gourmet magazine the whole time. I would have been in high school in the eighties. My cousin married this woman, Rebecca, who was the editor in chief of Gourmet magazine for many years. although when did they get married? They got married in like nineteen eighty two she was she could have been the editor at that time. Wow. um, I mean. <laughs> Because I was like, I was a sophomore in high school. I mean, I can still remember fighting with my mom over the dress I was going to wear. And then, um, (laughs) I mean, I can just, uh, as clear as day. Yeah, she was from Philadelphia. But my mom loved herbs. I mean, Gourmet Magazine was always like, she poured through it. She read through it. And then, did I mention, I'm from Sicily. Now, I grew up with a mom who cooked with herbs constantly. I mean, we grew up with... I I was lucky my mom was a gourmet cook the irony is of course I didn't eat meat so a little bit of it got wasted on me but <laughs> that's why she doesn't think I'm a foodie it's so funny I just did this interview with these this um couple their show is something like what'd you eat for dinner last night and uh, I was telling him my mom won't take me to Sicily because she doesn't think I'm a foodie <laughs> anyway my listeners want to hear more from you let's hear about like parsley and other herbs like i don't know tell us some tips about growing you know it's funny and that woman that i talked to on that show she's in chicago and this is keeping me up at night she still can't keep a basil plant alive through the winter. she can't grow any herbs and she's really struggling she manages to keep them on her um she lives in an apartment in chicago the other guy is in an apartment in Washington, D.C. They are both struggling to grow herbs um indoors in the winter, but they are both foodies and they both cook with herbs like crazy, but they are forced to go be the people who buy the basil plugs at the grocery store. And they do have access to farmer's markets in the winter. So I would love, I'm like, it's keeping me up at night. I'm like, I want to send her seeds and some good dirt and be like, here, try this so she has fresh basil in her window so
1: okay so uh in your list of uh in your list of questions um you asked uh somewhere in there uh <laughs> um oh, let's see it it was um what was the best gardening advice you ever received and this was not actually someone giving me advice. It was a light bulb going off. When I went, I went um, in 2008 and 2010, I taught on the island of Syros in Greece. And um, when I took the ferry from Athens, you know, to out, uh, you know, three hours away to this island, I, and this was, you know, way into my already growing herbs. It was like a light bulb went off because I looked at those islands and their craggy cliffs and they're rocky and stony and there's very little green in the summertime and it's hot as the dickens and there's not any rain. And they're growing wild across the islands were rosemary and lavender and sage and rock rose and hilichrysms and uh, these astonishing vitex, you know, scrubby herbs. And many of them were even a little burned on top, but most of them were hunkered down and growing close to the earth. And where did they get water from? the dew of the sea they got blazing sunshine and then they had this rocky sandy cliffside full of limestone so they had drainage that was unbelievable and so it was like wow this is why they aren't growing in my clay loamy soil back in maryland <laughs> This is not what they want. You know, they don't want clay loamy soil. They want the best, well drained, sharp, gritty soil you can give them. And they want hot sun all day long. And they need, you know, moisture. And so, if you think that you can grow thyme or lavender in a clay like soil, then happen. And so when I planted my first herb garden, which uh, was was long, long ago, I put everything into one big garden bed. You know, I put the basil next to the lavender, and the thyme and the lemon balm. And that is not how you grow herbs, which nobody tells you. So basically, you have your Mediterranean herbs. And they need that sharp, gritty gravel. You know, I mean, I add rock phosphate. I add sand. I add green sand. I add grit. Um, you know, chicken grit is really great for the Mediterranean. But then I'm going to grow my basil and my dill and my fennel and my uh, parsley. They're going to be right there in the vegetable garden where there is loamy soil because those annuals want that. So that is the best piece of advice I can give you, is not all herbs are created equal. (laughs) They do not want to grow in the same thing. So you really need to know the growing requirements of the herbs and where they come from in order to grow the best herbs. And yes, I have a big garden, but I have probably 150 pots. I grow herbs in containers very successfully, and that can be done. So those people in the apartments, they either have to have a patio or a porch to put their herbs out in and bring them in in the wintertime because they're going to do the best outside. You can grow herbs inside, but you need a lot of light. I have a greenhouse attached to the south side of my house, so I bring those 150 pots back in every winter. Um, But it's cool in there. It's not really heated. Except it's a passive solar greenhouse, so it's heated by the sun. Uh, so um, those plants are almost not like they're outside because they'd be freezing, and they're not freezing, but they they get really a dormant cold, you know, uh, in the greenhouse in my greenhouse. So um, that's the the most important thing you can do in and if you are growing in containers. Then you can take that lavender or that thyme or that rosemary, and you can amend your potting soil with all these things for sharp drainage you know and and the rock powders and uh, grit and things like that and even the Mediterraneans, I even mulch with chicken grit or white gravel because that's reflective, and it keeps the fungus from growing in these plants because we're in a very humid climate keep them dry, you know, and then um, I I grow rock and basil out there because I prune it. I cut it back four to five times a season, and if you don't cut it back, it's just going to make one little stem and flower. That's what it's, it's, it's supposed to do. It's an annual. It completes its life cycle in one season, so you can't keep basil going you have to plant it every year. Um, and uh, so you really have to have a hot, sunny windowsill. And um, I've written a book on basil. And you really need a 60-degree night. It, it, it's going to just sit and soak outside. You have to plant it, like the same time you plant tomatoes. You know, so, but there are herbs that like cold. And that's more of the perennials that winter over. Up there in Montana, though, (laughs) you you can't grow rosemary. You know, you got to bring it in in a pot because it's not going to winter over. It's too cold. I'd say rosemary after 28 degrees, it's going to freeze and it's not going to come back. So my rosemary's get moved in in October uh, when it's starting to get chilly. And then I put them back out in about March.
0: And rosemary wants this gritty dirt and sandy soil. It wants, ro- it wants gritty, sandy soil and not the dirt that I've been getting. That could be part of it. I have another friend who said something about mixing, like, Epsom salt
1: with water for rosemary. Have you so heard of that? Epsom, yeah. Epsom salt is made of uh, a hydrated magnesium sulfate. So it's magnesium and sulfur. And those are both important elements for um, healthy plant growth. So um, what a magnesium does, it allows the plant to take in nutrients like phosphorus and nitrogen. Um, and it helps to create chlorophyll. So, um, and it helps in all plants to um, produce flour and fruit. Now you don't want to put just Epsom, I mean, you don't want to put table salt on a plant. That's going to kill it like vinegar would. Um, So you don't use this a lot. Um, Probably if you want to use the Epsom salt, you would do it uh, once a month, twice at max. And um, you would only put two tablespoons in about a gallon of water and um, foliar spray with it. But what you would want to do, if you do have a garden, you would have your to- soil tested to see if you're deficient in magnesium before you would do that. Um, so plants like roses, tomatoes, peppers, uh, they they really like it. But your peas and beans are going to balk at Epsom salt. So you have to uh, do a little research there and think about it. You know, probably the nightshades are the best.
0: Yeah, she just said on her rosemary, and that was her thing. Two tablespoons for a gallon of water once a month. That was what she mm-hmm. said too. But, um. Yeah. She, but she has like these monster rosemaries growing, but they're in a pot. They're in her home in Montana, but it's just like spectacular. But, um, oh my gosh. Just so many things I've already learned just talking to you. Uh, I do <laughs> always grow basil on my window. I'm not. I'm not a big pesto person, so I don't need a ton of basil. Like, one basil plant on my windowsill that grows all year long is good for me. I have, we can get a frost almost any day in Montana, so I don't, I don't personally usually put basil outside, although last year I was reading that it was a companion plant for blueberries, so I tried to grow some, but then my seeds never even germinated. But who knows, maybe it got down, I might have put them in at the wrong time of year.
1: Uh, a 60-degree mm-hmm. night. That's good to know. Um, yeah. What? Oh, and it needs goodness. to be a a, a... a Basil needs to have... If you're trying to grow it on a windowsill, it needs full sun all day long, pretty much. You know, yeah, be, I don't... Like, be, when
0: I started my podcast, that was the only thing I could really keep alive. I was always like, I can keep a basil plant and a geranium alive, and that's it. But since this is year number six, I have learned a ton but I've always struggled with rosemary. Um I've struggled with lavender. Um so I'm going to I'm going to see if some of these things will help um my lavender so, because I pretty much have everything yeah. all in the same dirt outside. I don't have things separated by dirt. So I'm going to try that.
1: Right. So the the perennials that are native to um, the Mediterranean are rosemary and sage and thyme and lavender and uh things like savory um, so they're all the ones who are going to really need that um, kind of sharp rocky soil um, amended and uh it's it's um and then if you sort of think of those as all all the perennials that we really want to have in the garden and love. Although there are perennials like lemon balm and monarda and things like that, and I grow them around, um, like uh, like I would grow uh, plants around the the house, um, you know, in in enriched garden soil. But then the real annual herbs like basil, and um, cilantro, and uh, things, things like um, dill, uh, and chervil and parsley, even though parsley is a biennial, I treat them, I treat it like an annual, I put them out in the enriched vegetable garden, and I mulch them with straw. So they're out there, like in the salad bed, you know, they're and uh I keep them trimmed back so that I have them all summer long. Of course you can't do that with cilantro because that's gonna bolt and go to seed whenever it wants to. <laughs> it's hard to keep cilantro going. You just have to sow it four four times during the summer to keep cilantro.
0: What about parsley? Do you have that problem with parsley?
1: Okay. I'm so glad you brought up Parsley because parsley is herb of the year for twenty twenty one. Really? And uh Yes, I belong to the International Herb Association who's been choosing an herb of the year since 1995. And um, uh, they began with, you know, of course they began with the basic herbs, you know, basil, parsley, you know, but they didn't do parsley. And so I have heckled them and they finally let parsley be herb of the year. They, They thought it was just too common. And parsley is wonderful. I mean, so... We have a book come out every year and Parsley Herb of the Year is just coming out now. You can go to the International Herb Association website. And I I was editor of six of their Herb of the Year books. Um, and I've always helped out and contributed recipes and articles and photographs. So Parsley is a biennial, which means that It comes up one year and then the next year it's going to come up and you can get great foliage leaves from it, but it's going to flower and then you're done. So basically I sort of treat parsley like uh, an annual and plant it every year because the year that it flowers, then you don't have it the whole season long. And because I grew 17 different parsleys this year, Um, I have them outside in pots and right now they're covered with reme and I've been harvesting them all since it got cold because I have it covered with floating row cover. The snow and, you know, frost gets on it, but um, it stands back up during the day. And I also brought in some of the containers of it and have it in my greenhouse. So, uh, parsley is an amazing culinary herb as well as a medicinal herb. And um, everybody should be eating it and not leaving that garnish on their plate. It's it's not hard to grow. However, if you do sow it from seed, one of my articles in um, the upcoming parsley book is called <laughs> To the Devil Nine Times and Back, <laughs> because that is something <laughs> that I've, I, I've read in so many books, it's a quote that parsley has to go to the devil nine times and back um, before it will germinate. And indeed um, the, the parsley seed that I sowed last year for this book, well, I would say on average, it took at least 30 days to germinate. So that's going to the devil three times every once, every three days. <laughs> so Anyway, um, it, it, it is uh, the best thing you can do is to um, soak it for 24 to 48 hours, the seed before sowing it. And um, then what I do, because parsley seeds are tiny, they're they're smaller than a celery seed. Um, I mix it with a little bit of soil, uh, sand, so I can um, sort of take my fingers and gently sow it, you know, instead of having them all land in one clump by mixing it with a little bit of uh, sand it helps you to sew them easier. So uh y'all should look for that book because it's really full of I have another article in there on green sauces. So you would you would love those recipes. Oh,
0: I feel like you're answering all the questions I had. Uh, well how about something you're excited to try differently next year that you is there anything that you haven't done before that you're excited to try new?
1: Um, well, this year I had, um, great success with some new things. I've, I've grown Tulsi basil before and, you know, it's so good for us, uh, medicinally and, um, it's a beautiful plant, but I have a really great, um, sense of smell and taste and, uh, Tulsi sort of overwhelmed me. So this season I grew Tulsi and I made a tincture with the Tulsi in brandy. And it's the way I like to take it. (laughs) It's really good. And I really had great success. Two of my favorite flowers are zinnias and nasturtiums. And I call them zinnies and nasties. And um, I always grow them because I love them. And there's new nasturtiums coming out all the time. I grew uh, just a most gorgeous one, and I can't think of the name of it right now, but it was modeled uh, uh, modeled mahogany, ruby red, and yellow, green, cream colored. It was astounding, and it, that did wonderfully this year, but I've been looking in the catalogs, and there's a, a whole bunch of new nasturtiums that I will also be growing. Um But the herb of the year next year are viola, which means Johnny Jump Ups, also known as Heart's Ease, all those lovely little um, pansy faces, and, you know, our wild violets. So um, I've been daydreaming over all of the violas and all the catalogs right now, and I want to try and grow them. They're not the easiest to germinate from seed um, either but I'm going to be studying that and uh, germinating them. I always have these in my garden because um, the, all the violas are are safe to eat. And um, I wrote a book on edible flowers, so um, I use a lot of things like nasturtiums and viola, violas and calendula flowers and daylilies. I, I put them in my salads and do all kinds of fun things with them. So um, definitely, those are some things that I will be putting in the ground this year. And you know, I I have my favorite herbs that I do every year, um, and we just vary things. Did one herb? Is the basil is the
0: basil, Tulsi T U L S I or Chelsea
1: or what yes. kind of basil did you it's say? T. So Tulsi, T-U-L-S-I, and it's known as, um, it's also called holy basil, and it's also um, called sacred basil. Um, And, you know, it's an adaptogen. And um, I've actually been studying adaptogens a lot because, you know, they help with anxiety and stress and um, they help to balance the body and all of us are undergoing anxiety and stress uh, with the pandemic. And in this last year, so I've been doing a lot of adaptogenic herbs to deal with stress and anxiety and things like that. And also they, um, they help to build up the, their immunostimulants often. And, you know, they're really, well, Tulsi is great for colds and flus too. So, um, It's one that I um, decided I really wanted to get to know better and I'm very glad that I did. You can drink it just as a tea, just put the leaves in there simply. Um, But I really like it as a tincture myself. So this is uh, a plant that I will grow again for sure. And everybody that I gave, everybody that I gave my (laughs) Tulsi brandy to, Was like, ooh, I'll have some more of this. So uh, that was one of my holiday gifts this year. A lot of people got tincture bottles full of it. I'll
0: bet. I mean, I don't know how many days I started putting ice cream in my coffee at like 11 in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) I keep telling my mom, it is a miracle. My husband is still married to me because I was – I was teaching in the classroom last year, so I've been home since March 12th when they sent us home. And then I didn't have a contract this year, and I took some podcasting jobs, so I've been working from home. And then, on top of that, they cut my unemployment off January 1st, unbeknownst to me. So it was just when he thought I couldn't get any crankier. Now I haven't had a paycheck in three weeks, and who knows when that's coming. <laughs> On top of everything else. So uh if you want to ship a little brandy tincture to me, so my poor <laughs> husband. Like, I, I go to this thing called laughter yoga because it's just like I am not the kind of person to stay home. Like, I, I thought I got this one job. Apparently, when they said they were moving forward, it was moving forward with the interview and not the job. And it was gonna be like a really high so I was like I'm renting an office in town. Like, I had it all picked out and everything. And then, you know, because it was a job way over my head. And it would have been a miracle if they hired me, which they weren't. They were just giving me the interview. Anyway, it's been tough. I can certainly use some brandy. I definitely feel like this week, you know, after we just had the election and they, they, I mean, the... Yeah, I mean, that was so beautiful. I don't know if you watched it at the inauguration, but I can feel my anxiety what? levels when they were peaking on Tuesday night. Like, literally, I was up at 2 o'clock in the morning, could not sleep. Um, they're just dropping drastically every day. Um, good, anyway, yeah. by good. hopefully by April, <laughs> which this is actually going to come out, like, right in time for Mother's Day, um, we'll be oh. way past all of this. Yeah, I did manage to like change my schedule around in September. I took some time off from my podcast. Then I started recording season three in November and December. And I actually, for the first time ever, have 20 episodes. Not only do I have 20 episodes in the bank that are pre recorded, I have the next eight episodes are edited, posted to my website, show notes done. I don't have to go on my website until the end of February. I have never in six year. I have my six year anniversary um, this Thursday coming up, I think, January 29th. Six years of my podcast. Um, unless I put this, you never know, because I like to put out bonus episodes. <laughs> Sometimes it's hard for me. Like my <laughs> guests are so, my show is amazing because of my amazing guests like you, and I can't hold it in and I just have to release it early. Um, so you never know, but I'm also trying to like, part of the reason I'm trying to get off the podcast hamster wheel so I can better serve my audience and do more. And uh, so who knows what's going to happen. But anyway, I just wanted to confirm two more quick things. Like I originally wrote parsley was the herb of the year for 2021, but parsley was the herb of the year for 2020 and for 2021 it's Viola's.
1: No. No. The book is just coming out. Parsley is 2021, and violas is 2022.
0: Oh, okay. All right. Well, I'm glad I did confirm that. And you know what's funny? So my husband calls them zinnias and nasties, too. He calls them nasties, the nasturtiums. And this year, my big goal, one of like, I really want to plant lots of sunflowers, like as many sunflowers as I can, but also lots of zinnias, lots of nasturtiums, and lots of marigolds because... Um, Those are the powerhouses in our garden. Now, I did make a whole bed last year that I'm hoping the dill and the calendula that have been in our garden, they just kind of move around because, you know, those seeds move. And I'm hoping I encourage enough of them to move into this new bed that I planted in my orchard this year. So they're hopefully going to just come back on their own but I definitely am, like, my big focus, it says, repeatedly, because, partly because I had to buy some of those things last year, and I was just, I could, t- you could tell, like, we were missing, usually my husband plants lots of marigolds and nasturtiums, not as many zinnias, but tons of marigolds and nasturtiums, um, because they are just powerhouses, as far as, like, helping your vegetables grow, keeping the bugs at bay, like, I don't know if they put off scents or Patty said something this morning about the nasturtiums, uh, the trailing nasturtiums, like inviting in the black wasps that eat the aphids or something. So maybe that's what they do. But yeah, we always have lots of those. And then again, now, can you put zinnias in your flowers? I know I always eat the nasturtiums. I don't know if I eat marigolds either, but I always put nasturtiums in my flower,
1: in my salads. Right. Well, zinnias? um, zinnias aren't edible they're not okay. they're just no they're just happy <laughs> they're they're so cheerful and oh my um, gosh yeah but, and
0: and they definitely keep the pests at bay and they just are so pretty they add this huge burst of color and the greenery and and you could tuck them in here and there and yeah
1: yeah nice and reactions. the same uh and marigolds um marigolds are edible they're you know, marigolds are a little bit stinky, uh, which, and I love the smell of them just like tomatoes have a funny odor, but I love the smell of them. Um, so those marigolds, that smell is what repels the bugs and nasturtiums do, can get aphids. Um, you can blast them off pretty much with water, a water spray, um, or you can do a pepper spray if you need to, but nasturtiums, you know, um, uh, Louise B. B. Walder, who is a garden, was a garden writer in her Fragrant Path. She wrote about, um, nasturtiums being nose twisters is what she called them because they have a real pungency. And when you eat them, they're spicy like watercress, you know. So, uh, having flowers in your vegetable garden is a wonderful thing. You know, it helps deter pests, but it also brightens everything up and, um, you know, that's how my garden is. It's sort of a happy tumble of things. It's You know, things are grown all in there together, the herbs and the flowers and the vegetables.
0: Yeah, well, that's what Patty was saying, that they'll attract the aphids off of your vegetables and you will get as many aphids on your plants because they'll go to the nasturtium and then it's also attracting these black fly or black wasps that eat the aphids. So, you might see mm-hmm. your nasturtium covered in the aphids, but then these black wasps will eat it and they'll just go away altogether and you won't have the aphids eating your vegetable either, like your kale or your swist tart. It's kinda of like it's like making, you know, like a symbiotic whatever ecosystem type of thing. Anyway, uh, this is a part of the show where we call getting into the root of things. So do you have a least favorite activity, Susan, to do in the garden? Something you gotta kinda of force yourself to do?
1: Um well, I think probably most people would say weeding but uh I don't like to weed when it's really dry and the weeds are really big and you have to pull out hunks of soil you know um uh but weeding can be meditative you know <laughs> it's it's not a terrible chore it's okay um probably killing pests I don't like like squishing caterpillars and I don't like uh oh only the bad ones I wouldn't do a, um I wouldn't kill any of the caterpillars that are going to become beautiful butterflies and um but um you know japanese beetles and stink bugs and things like that who uh you know we've we've got to pick them off and drown them or do whatever we have to do with them so that would probably be my least favorite activity is taking care of the pests
0: so on the flip side what's your favorite activity to do in the garden
1: <laughs> everything pretty much transplanting in the spring is so joyous you know the the, making the garden you know is is always fun but probably um other than the harvest and eating that first ripe tomato and those hot chili peppers i think that um just being in the garden is my favorite thing is is the surveying the daily walking about and going oh look this one's up oh look at that that's got a button oh those leaves oh it's gonna be time to pick in three days you know so that that's probably my favorite thing is just being there and um noticing it
0: me too how about what's the best gardening advice you've ever received Well,
1: I, yeah, we talked about, uh, it really wasn't advice that I received. It was, it was uh, the, the realization of how the Mediterranean herbs grow that I, I love to pass that on. I I can't think of any one piece of advice in particular. There's been lots of people have told me lots of things.
0: (laughs) I think that picture and, and, of those herbs that you painted in our heads is going to serve everyone for a long time. So that was perfect. How about a favorite tool? If you have, I'm curious, like, when did you end up moving back to Maryland?
1: Oh, I stayed in California for a couple of years and then came back to Maryland. And I, we always came back because we have land here, you know, and we planted fruit trees and grapes and had bees. So you know this is where i wanted to create my garden even though i had guard, i've worked in gardens around the world <laughs> you know and across the country um so if i only could take one tool with me it would definitely be the hori hori which is the japanese weeder uh knife with a serrated edge and i i i think i have 3 of them now um I actually got a blacksmith to make one in uh, in Arkansas, in the Ozarks. Uh, I knew a blacksmith there, and I said, do you think you could do this because he was making trowels? And so he took my Hori Hori, and, you know, he made the tooth side on one side and the sharp edge, and he even made it so that we can uh, – uh, there's one uh, a Hori Hori by Bare Bones that uh, you can uh, have a bottle opener on it so you can open that bottle of beer while you're out there in the garden. <laughs> at the end of the day but anyway it's a tool i keep um i put colored yarn around it because it's got a wooden handle and you set it down you know and you and it's, where's my hori hori so uh, it's a favorite tool and i've probably bought at least 10 of them for people who uh, are gardeners because i think it's the, the greatest tool there is the work weapons in the garden
0: I bought one for my husband for his birthday last year and we are finding the biggest struggle is he doesn't wear a belt. So then the sheath doesn't go Uh around his. So then where does he keep it? So he didn't take to it as much as I thought he would. That being said, he also has a knife that he's been using for years that maybe he's just used to and he maybe just used that. Um, How about a favorite recipe you'd like to cook or eat from the garden? I bet you got a good one.
1: (laughs) Well, I've I've written over twenty books, so (laughs) I have a lot of recipes. So, um, I would have to say that one of the things that I do the most often is make green sauces. Uh, So it's a salsa verde, and. You know, in the spring, I forage and I use chickweed and dandelion greens and violet leaves and uh, any baby greens that I have growing, which might be at that time, you know, some cilantro is coming up or dill or fennel. And um, then in summer, of course, it turns into pesto with basil. And uh, in the height of the season, I'm taking the parsley and the cilantro and making chimichurri. And, you know, so um, in the fall, I'm using the, you know, the greens, like from uh, the um, magenta spring lambs quarters, you know, uh, and nettles and, you know, so I, um, my green sauces, or salsa verdes are never the same twice. They're always full of greens of the season. And then, you know, three or four or five cloves of garlic and olive oil. And uh, occasionally, sometimes it's vinegar, sometimes it's lemon or lime. And you can thicken them up a little bit if you soak a slice or two of bread in um, a little bit of vinegar or uh, water, you know, like stale bread, which is going to really thicken them up, which is a very common thing that they do in Europe. It, uh, you know, they make red sauces that have green herbs in them. And then I use them on anything in the spring, you know, it's on new potatoes, beets, um, asparagus, artichokes. And then in the summer, it's on any grilled vegetable, tomatoes, you know, squash, eggplant. And then in the fall, you know, I'm using it with like chili peppers and winter squash and sweet potatoes. So. I pretty much have a green sauce happening, you know, every week. (laughs) And right now I'm cutting parsley out of the greenhouse and out of the yard. And I've got great chickweed right now, um, which is happening. And, you know, you can put a handful of spinach in it. I have some really lovely sweet marjoram in the greenhouse. So that adds a nice flavor. So uh, you can fool around and you can, you know, some salsa days add like a hard-boiled egg chopped up and some add a chopped tomato or a little bit of onion. You know, you can vary them in infinite ways and um you're adding vitamins and minerals and big, great flavor to, you know, your vegetables and it's uh, fun.
0: Okay, I should have gone to your website this morning. So... Because I have done these, like all these interviews in the last 30 days, like things are kind of getting blurred together, but I did. So I was just looking at your book yesterday when I was talking to my husband about helping that woman, I'm like... Oh, look, this person wrote, grow your own herbs, the 40 best culinary varieties for your home. I should reach out to her. And I'm like, wait, I did reach out to her. I'm talking to her tomorrow. (laughs) But then when I got on this morning, after I got off with Patty, I didn't go to this page and this website. I went to the fine dining, but you have SusanBelsinger.com. And then you have, you do have like, there's 11 books here, culinary herbal, classic Southwest cooking. Not just desserts, sweet herbal recipes, gourmet vegetables, designing an herb garden, gourmet, the Brooklyn Botanic Garden, gourmet herb book, chili pepper book, garlic book, onion book, the Creative Herbal Home, and more like, but is there a green seasonal, where's the, where, is there a green sauce book? This sounds so good that the, the different Um, green sauces
1: well um green sauces are in a number of of my books but um there's a whole section in the new parsley uh, herb of the year book on green sauces that i wrote and um it's condensed because i'm i'm writing a new book that will hopefully be out by late spring i'm hoping maybe not till summer um and that has a very large section on green sauces of every kind. It's a food story uh, you know, and um I probably have at least ten green sauce recipes in, in that. Oh. And there's probably five in five in the Parsley book that, you know, will give you the basic introduction.
0: And your is you know just so lovely. I love this picture of you with the chili peppers and the I don't know if that's lavender vines or just, it's, uh, it's, yes. You're rubbing my it's hair. So elegant.
1: Thank you. My dear friend uh, did that drawing. Um, so the other thing is, is, um, I did give you, uh, the, the link, um, to find gardening and, um, you know, I blogged for vegetable gardener for eight years. And, um, so there's like a good, 450 blogs posted and when vegetable gardener ceased to exist they took all of those blogs and they're on the fine gardening website if you type in my name susan belsinger it will just take you to 40 some pages of blogs to you know just to hit on and the salsa verde and my pesto are on those blogs if you want to go get the recipe Oh my goodness. You are just prolific.
0: Uh, this has been so fun. Well, how about a favorite internet resource?
1: Where do you find yourself surfing on the web? Oh, (laughs) I am a person who loves to do research and, uh, I have many, many herbal sites that I go to. Um, I, um, you know, every year when there's an herb of the year I do a vast amount of research on that because I I used to fly around the country and give lectures and programs on it, but last year I I too had no work. So um anyway there are you know there are many herb schools and herb sites that I go to. Um of course I uh go to all the sites of the seed, you know seedsmen, the seeds growers, um, because I am always looking at plants and things like that. Um, mountain rose herbs is a place where I buy a lot of herbs from that. I don't grow for making all kinds of medicinal things and, and foods. Um, there, they have a, a huge variety of herbs and things like that. And, um, I uh, do a lot of research on the American Botanical Council, um, which is a really great um, organization, nonprofit organization to belong to. Um, that, you know, their magazine is called Herbal Gram. So um, I also belong to the Herb Society of America who posts great blogs. You can go on and get their blogs you sign up for their blogs, you get them for free, and they come about once a week or every other week, and great information on herbs. Um, and I blog for them, uh, you know, fairly, you know, at least four or five or six times a year. Um, so there are places like the Chestnut School of Herbs. If you're looking for information, all of those are, are wonderful places to go. Uh, So uh, they're, and they're, it's fun, it's exciting, you know. So across the board, I'm looking at how to grow herbs, um, where to get them from, um, how to use them in the kitchen, how to use them medicinally, uh, aromatherapeutically. So the, the Creative Herbal Home is a book that I wrote with Tina Marie Wilcox. And that really gives you a lot of information on living the herbal life, you know, using herbs um, for cooking, you know, it has all the basics of infusions and decoctions and it has how to make calendula salve and household cleaning products. And it gives you the background for a large number of herbs, you know, and, and how they affect us, like which ones, it's really important for a gardener to know which ones are insect repellents, (laughs) you know, so we can whip that up and put it on our hat and boots and not get bit while we're outside. Um, so there's um and then, you know, there's first aid in there and things like that. So that's a a good resource for uh someone who's wanting to learn about herbs and using them every day.
0: Oh my goodness. And start with Susan's blog and her website. It's a great like there's just tons of information there. I like that Mountain Rose herb site too. How about a favorite, I mean, did you have a favorite reading material or book you wanted to recommend? Because I just feel like we should send listeners to your books. <laughs> and I don't yes. usually say well, that, yeah. but you have—you are so prolific and these are awesome.
1: Well, yes, grow your own herbs. And as I mentioned, the Creative Herbal Home are, are both um, good herbs. My Herbs in the Kitchen has uh, gone out of, print, but the book I'm working on is, is going to be uh, really good. Um, probably for, a, you know, really knowing serious things about growing herbs and the varieties. Um, I've I've used uh, Dr. Arthur Tucker and Tom de Baggio's book, the, um, the Encyclopedia of Herbs. That's one of my go-to references, The Encyclopedia of Herbs. And, um, also there's another encyclopedia of herbs that's published and their uses by the, uh, Dorling Kindersley and that's by Denny Bone, D E N I B O W N. So those are like hardcore, uh, resources that I use. But, um, Grow Your Own Herbs that I did with Dar- Dr. Tucker, um, is, is a condensed book. It's got your 40 main culinary herbs and, you know, I talk about the smell and the taste, but what I really talk, we we discuss is the varieties that we buy, why we choose Mrs. Burns lemon basil over the other lemon basils, you know, why we go for Genoa green as our favorite Italian green basil, you know, so um, that will help people who are just beginning to grow herbs who want to get the best varieties for certain reasons. And you know, uh, it also gives a, a lot of, a little bit of history and where they're they're grown. So that's important, letting you know how to grow each one of these, because it's going to tell you it's a Mediterranean herb, it needs dry, you know, arid stuff, or it's going to tell you that it wants wet, loamy soil, you know, so that would be a good choice for uh, beginning gardeners, beginning herbies.
0: Susan. Amazing. All right. I'm going to get to my final question and then you can tell everybody how to connect with you one more time and then I'll let you go. Cause you're probably like, does this woman ever shut up and let me get <laughs> off the phone? I didn't realize it was going to be over an hour, but oh my goodness, you've just shared so much knowledge today. I've learned a ton. Listeners have learned a ton. That's why my podcast is such a success because of amazing guests like you and you have shared like you are you've shared more about herbs i think than anybody i've talked to this has just been delightful and i can't believe my mom is going to be like oh, i can't believe you talked to her i know she's read your articles <laughs> i mean she just poured through those gourmet magazines especially at that time in our lives mm-hmm. um, yeah okay final question Susan, if there's one change you'd like to see to create a greener world, what would it be? For example, is there a charity or organization you're passionate about or project you'd like to see put into action? Like, what do you feel is the most crucial issue facing our planet in regards to the environment, either locally, nationally, or on a global scale?
1: Well, that's a big question that we I could know. talk about for hours. <laughs> um so I think our our biggest problem, of course, is climate change. And um, I think that you know one of the most important things for gardeners is that we plant gardens and we harvest and we take, but we must always um, feed. We have to nourish the soil to keep continuing to do that. Um, so composting, you know, recycling, taking care of All those basic things to keep our environment uh, sustainable is is probably what I really think about and care about. Um, I think it's wonderful that so many people, you know, are turning to gardening, and uh, it just brings me great joy that, you know, it's the biggest hobby in the United States, and that people are caring about growing their own food. And there's nothing, I mean, there's nothing better than sowing a seed and watching the miracle happen from that seed all the way through, you know, having it germinate to actually harvesting and eating it, or, you know, enjoying the splendor of, or the smell of, of an herb, or, you know, the glories of all the flowers that we can grow. Um, so uh, I, I belong to and think about many. Different aspects of this. Um, probably one of the places that I think about is um, the United Plant Savers, which I belong to. And um, they're a nonprofit organization and they're up in Ohio. And um, they have, I don't know how many acres, it's a very large amount of land. And what they're doing is they're trying to save endangered species. Um, they have fantastic trees and and gardens but they have you know whole areas planted of golden seal and ginseng which you know have been over har- harvested and and they're they're on the endangered species list and that's just two of the main herbs they have you know many of them so that's a website worth visiting and um, joining because we want to support We want to keep these plants on our earth. (laughs) You know, we don't want them to go away. And so uh, they're doing good work there. They're doing good work. If you're ever in Ohio, go visit. Hmm.
0: And uh, their website looks really cool. Um, What was I going to say? I don't know. You have been just like such an amazing guest. It has been an honor. Like if you could see me right now, my hands are together and I am bowing down to you. And
1: I just <laughs> thank you
0: so thankful <laughs> that you have come on and shared your time on the Saturday morning and energy and wealth of information with my guests. And you guys know, Get one of her books, even if you get it from the library, if you don't buy it, make sure you write that five-star review on Amazon because other people need to read her books and just, um, I know you are going to have more success growing your herbs in your garden after listening to this this year. I'm going to have more success. Thank you so much. And just one last time, tell everybody how to connect with you. It's FineGardening.com.
1: Um, yeah, you can just go to finegardening.com uh, and then uh, type in my name, Susan Belsinger, and uh, then it'll just take you to. I think it's like 47 pages, and there's at least 10 uh, blog titles on each page. There's like a little paragraph about each one, so you can, you know, scroll through and find the salsa verde recipe, and find how to make aromatic herbal pastes and and things like that, and then. My website is SusanBelsinger.com if you want to order a book and I will be glad to autograph it for you. Um, and uh, there are some recipes up there. I need to get on there and um, beef up my uh, my uh, content a little bit. You know, there's my bio and, and things like that. And uh, there are some links to other organizations like the Herb Society of America and... Um, the International Herb Association, where you can get the new Parsley book and all the other Herb of the Year books. So, um, yeah, let's stay in touch. And maybe I'll come back uh, later in the summer and do a program on harvesting and preserving your herbs.
0: Oh, my gosh, that would be amazing. So if I order this book, you're going to autograph it?
1: Yeah, uh huh. In in the note thing, just say who you want me to autograph it to, yeah. or, and and uh, you know, and I I sometimes I often send people an email and say, do you want this autographed and to whom,
0: you know? So please autograph. I'm ordering it right now. Flush your heart. Cool oh Thank you so much. And then I'm gonna do a video review for you on Amazon when I'm done. Uh, oh, thank you. So I'm glad I'm buying it from okay. you and not from Amazon, which is where I usually buy it. But there's no there's doubt hope. that needs to be on my garden shelf. And I'm happy to support you. Yeah. And I'm excited to have an a autograph copy. What a treat. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much. You have a wonderful day.
1: Okay. You too. Thanks, Jackie. Happy Irving.
0: Happy Irving.